Hello and welcome to Serious Vintage. I'm Jeff Mose. And I'm Nat Mose. Today, we'll be talking about the results from the latest tournaments in Ohio, what it's like being new to vintage, and Serious Food and Drink discusses what to eat while gaming. Eric Butler, he's relatively new to Vintage, although he has been sort of hanging around at Team Serious Opens for a few years now. He and I recently reconnected after I moved back to Columbus, and we've been playing Vintage regularly on Monday nights at Part of Dusk. So anyway, we thought we'd bring him in a little bit and talk about what it's like to be sort of getting into Vintage as a player of other formats. He usually has played Standard and Modern before. Welcome to the show, Eric. Yeah. This past weekend, actually, the three of us, or not this past weekend, but it was three weekends ago. Yeah. I put it out of my mind. Yeah. You did real bad. <laughs> February 9th, actually, uh, the three of us, as well as some other people, played at the Team Series Open in Sandusky, Ohio. Thought we'd go over some of the deck lists we had there. We recently came up with the term Ohio style to describe decks, and I think most of the decks at this tournament were Ohio style. I was really psyched because of how rogue everything was. I came to the table really packing a lot of shops, hey. And there were shops there, but there were weird shops, and way more than weird shops, there was weird everything else. Yeah. What did you play, Jeff? <laughs> I played Pyromancer Ascension Tendrils, so the idea here was that it was a, like, a, like a terrible tendril shell, and it had Pyromancer's Ascension, because if you actually get Pyromancer's Ascension online, you basically just win on the spot. But uh, it didn't really work out very well. I ended up in an epic battle for second-to-last place, which I will have you know that I won. However... Both of those games, I did not see a single Pyromancer's Ascension, and I think that there's a connection there. Interesting. So, did you ever get Pyromancer's Ascension online and win the game? Yes, I did once. Congratulations. Wow. The guy decided that it was a bad idea, and he did not let it happen again, and I definitely lost that round. And, um, let's see, Eric and I both top-aided. What did you play, Eric? Blue-White Stoneblade, I guess, is what other people have called it. Yeah, it's got Stoneforge Mystic. I think the easy way to give that deck description to other people is Stoneblade. Yeah, just a bunch of permission, Stoneblade, Mystics, and Graces. Yeah, tends to get the job done. Yeah, it looks pretty good. It, the Stoneforge seems to play pretty well against things like workshops, right? Yeah, the game one is a lot easier as long as you have a Stoneforge Mystic. They just don't have a fun time dealing with a batter spell that only costs me too much. Right, right. How many batter skulls do you play in that? At the tournament, I was playing one along with a skull clamp for the uh, Ohio-style five-mana draw engine that you can establish with it. Whoa! Ohio-style. Yeah, it's it's real strong. Now I've I've up to the two since then, just because uh, some decks, you know, artifact removal is pretty ubiquitous and vintage, so using a batter skull is not cool. And having two is, like, cool, awesome. Yeah, we also had, um, well, I played uh, Forge Master Combo, which is the combo centered around Metalworker and Staff of Domination, although the Forge Master will let you get either of those plus a toolbox of gigantic artifact dudes like Suntering Titan. 
It seems like that's uh, rapidly becoming the Natmo's signature deck. I really like that deck. Sometimes I, I, you just I, play giant dudes and kill your opponents. I think it's a good deck. It's versatile, and it can definitely come out of nowhere and just kill your opponent. Yeah, I think my biggest problem, the only decks, or the only matchups that I have a really hard time with are ones where I don't have enough mana. And Actually, the only matches I lost that weekend were against Mark Trogdens. Um He was playing a uh, Forge Master deck as well, although his had more mana denial, including things like Wastelands, which mine doesn't run. And against Charles Rolko, who was playing Twan's Presso stacks, and also had null rods in the board, which actually the null rods aren't that big of a problem, except that I also kept hands with no lands in them. So I that seems like more like sloppy play. It was I, I played um. really poorly. <laughs> I mean, I, it, all credit to Charlie, he he did really well. I mean, he he played everything right, so he, he deserved the win. I've got to say, I played against Charles in round two, and as I said, the deck Pyromancer Ascension Tendrils. I tested it a lot against shops, and it was terrible against them. So my solution to it was to board 12 pieces of artifact hate. So I had um, <laughs> I had four, uh, what's that, gate crash? Shattering Blow? No, not, it wasn't Shattering Blow. It was Return to Ravnica, the one where you can overdrive it to kill all their artifacts. Yeah, okay, oh, Vandal Blast. Yeah, so I had four Vandal Blasts, four Ancient Grudge, and four uh, Rackin' Ruins. Right, and I man. just boarded out all the combo stuff and just had Pyromancer Ascension and Artifact kill. And he just pounded my mana base and just ground me down. Like, I, I couldn't do anything about it. Even with all that Artifact kill, I just got absolutely nowhere. It was a, yeah. it was a beating. Yeah, I, I had a hard time too against it. It was a good deck, and he played it well, and... Like I said, I was keeping hands with no mana. The the one game I did win, uh, I mulled the four. It was three mana and something else, and I top decked Platinum Angel, which I was able to hard cast on turn two, and went all the way with that. <laughs> so, yeah, but he he definitely got the win. We we had some other interesting. I think the best one was the deck played by our last guest, Jake Kilty, who bring that up. who <laughs> I was talking to him at Berardi's before the tournament. He was like, "Yeah, I don't know whether I'm going to play that white red fish deck or if I'm going to play this this enchantress deck that I've been brewing." I was like, "Well, you got to play the the bears deck because that's what you were talking about on the podcast." <laughs> you and, said you would, and then he looked in his car. He's like, "Well, I forgot that one at home, so I guess I'm playing blue green enchantress." <laughs> <laughs> but I think that this deck is really sort of the epitome of Ohio style because <laughs> his his main deck contains four seal of primordium, four seal of removal, and three energy flux, all of which helped to beat workshop decks. He did pretty well against yeah, workshop decks. He said they were insane. Yeah, like, I, I was having an argument with him over energy flux was good or not, and he said, "Well, if you play enough of them, yeah, really. it works." And, um, yeah, he's got the fourth one in the board. <laughs> that energy flux was real annoying. It came out game one against me, yeah. because my deck's not shops, but it's oh, right. artifact heavy. I think the first game when we played, I uh, I had a mole to four, and I kept on a double mox hand, and he had energy flux on my turn two against me. Boom. <laughs> Wrapped it up real quick. That seems real yeah. unfortunate. You played him in top eight, right? Yeah, uh, he was my only loss in the rounds, and then top eight, I got paired against him again. Nice. And he's just coming out of left field with that style, so right. I, I didn't really have much interaction. My only chance was, like, sit back and try and counter his words of uh, windings in it. Oh, yeah, words of winding. 
Yeah. So, or the wind, I guess, yeah. But then he just drew so much. It's, yeah. Yeah, that was what I was, I was marveling at and just watching him play. He would draw 10 or 12 cards in a single turn and then have to pass the turn, discard right. down, <laughs> and then next turn he would kill you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We'll throw his, his list up in the article. It's pretty unique. I mean, I don't know whether it works outside of Ohio, but it's certainly worth a look because it's pretty interesting. The seals seem cool because they did give him that yeah. sort of like he's not going to get he probably isn't going to get him blown up by something like a time vault or a blight seal. Right. He's yeah, definitely not. He's got a ton of solutions to yeah to, to everything. Instant wins. Yeah. And then we also in eighth place, almost as usual at this point, we had Riley Curran with elves. Riley's been playing elves. <laughs> I, th- I think Riley plays elves at most vintage tournaments. It's either elves or landfill. He plays elves in like every format he can play elves in. Yeah, he <laughs> recently did very well at a uh, Star City Open Legacy with elves as well. Well, he took he took first, didn't he? He took first. Yeah, <laughs> he did. He did pretty well. He did. He did all right. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I know. Uh, I talked to him a little bit about the deck, and he said that the one thing he probably wouldn't do again was play Deathrite Shaman. He said they weren't very good for him. I think he said that because he played against a lot of. Um, they weren't good against workshops uh, because they workshops don't put lands in their graveyard, yeah. so he couldn't add mana. Yeah. Um, so he said he'd probably just play Thinhorn Elves or anyone else instead. The Shaman also can't remove artifacts. Right. So Yeah, I mean, Shaman is yeah. sort of a dead card except for removing his own stuff. Yeah, it can't stop Welder tricks or anything like that. Right. right. Yeah, it, it ended up being a really good tournament. I, how like how I many said, people we had, did we have turn out? Uh, check. I think we had 21. It's pretty good. Yeah, and I, I think yeah. we're... We'll get to this a little bit later. I think we're doing pretty well at attracting new players to vintage tournaments. Well, so I, I expect not too long we'll be able to break the 32-player mark. Sounds that's, great. That's my goal. By the end of the year, we're going to have one of the 32 players. <laughs> yeah, and anyway, I think after this after this tournament, oh, like, what, 18 of us went to Water Street Grill for dinner? Yeah, and we were joined by other Magic players that couldn't yeah. actually make the tournament. Yeah, so I think in all we had like 24 people there. <laughs> Good deal. Yeah. We can get a better turnout for dinner than we can for a tournament. Oh, uh, that's so awkward. <laughs> well, I mean, think about the returns on dinner. They're right. pretty, it's true. pretty consistent. <laughs> You're not coming in second to last at dinner, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> or am I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what did you order? The meatloaf? No, no, actually I had a hamburger. <laughs> That's what I thought. I want to check. I thought you did get the hamburger. <laughs> so then uh, following the Team Series Open on February 25th, was actually yesterday. We had a an eight man tournament at Fog of Dusk in Columbus, which Eric and I also played at. And we had to, I feel like we're getting a pretty good turnout there as well. Like I, I figure we're going to start having pretty regular eight man tournaments. I think eight people on a Monday night seems pretty good. Yeah, it is. And I know that there are other people in Columbus who are not able to make that day or that time. So we might start trying to schedule stuff on weekends either testing or other tournaments that, just to get other people involved to make sure that they know what's going on. Yeah, if we did much more, Fog of Dusk is pretty packed on Mondays right now. 
Yeah. Well, I, you know, it's interesting because I think the drafters are going to start dropping out. I know their their regular events go up and down as well. So. Oh, man. Are we going to get enough vintage players to wage war against the drafters and force them out of their turf? Yeah. Yeah, we are. Oh. Well, that, I, I, I mean, like, Fog of Dusk has been really, really good about encouraging this. Well, I mean, not mm-hmm. they've been, you know, mentioning it to people. It's up on their website. I know a lot of their employees, their owner, are, you know, excited about getting the news going. Yeah, because like to see it they had that event where they had, uh, for the Gate Crash pre-release. That was Comic Town. Oh, uh, that was Comic Town? My bad. Yeah. No, it's fine. <laughs> uh, no, we, we actually, I mean, we have pretty, a couple of pretty decent stores in Columbus that has regular. I was I was amazed after the Comic Town tournament because I mean they must have lost money on that and they were and he was totally cool with that as being like the cost to foster the format in the area. Uh, he, he, yeah, and actually, I mean, we talked about I, I could probably follow up with him because we uh, the owner of Comic Town had suggested that they were going to start also trying to do regular vintage tournaments. And, you know, that really hasn't come about yet, but they, they actually are the hosts for the Team Series Opens in Columbus. We have one coming up on March 24th. Uh, so, like I said, we have we have two good stores in Columbus that are willing and able to host mm-hmm. tournaments. So um, this 8-man at Fog of Dusk... It was Ohio-style, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we need to talk about this just because of this deck that you played, I think. I put together... Um, put together a deck for the Twitter user Revised Angel, who is getting into vintage in Las Vegas. She always looks for decks that have angels in them, and this seemed like a decent way to go about it. So I pretty much threw together a blue-white control list that had Snapcaster Angels and Restoration Snapcaster Mages and Restoration Angels, <laughs> and and tried to tried to leap off of that into Jace and just play control. Um, and as it turns out, the deck is pretty decent. It actually, from playing, well, from goldfishing it and playing it, it plays a little bit like Bomberman, except that you can play your big threats at the end of the turn. Yeah, because, because I mean, every creature in this has flash. Right. Yeah, except for Blightsteel Colossus. The only thing you need to tap out for main is really like Tinker or Jace. Jace, right. And I, I think that's a pretty big advantage. I see that you, because you would link me a list of this that I put together on Cockatrice and was goldfishing a bit. I see you, uh, you dropped the, you dropped the Avon Mind Sensor in favor of the second click. Yeah. That was just to get more interaction with Restoration Angel. Yeah. The Avon Mind Sensor actually was fine. And then, you know, I mean, it's, it's a decent control piece and it's also played at instant speed and that sort of thing. But click not only hits harder, but it also has relevant, comes into playability. It, I, I think it's sort of a mind sensor is funny in this because normally, I mean, if you're playing against a fish deck that has white in it, and they your opponent passes the turn with three mana up, one yeah. of which is white, and you're like, "Huh, I wonder what you're holding yeah. in your hand." But this deck, this deck, it totally comes out of nowhere because yeah. because I mean, it's it's primarily a blue control deck. That's not something you're expecting them to whip out. Yeah, yeah, no, it it, it ended up being pretty good. I had a lot of trouble, though, playing against shops, so I was just wondering how... Because you're not really heavy on the shop hate. Well, I did try to cut down on things that weren't shop hate. I only have the two mental missteps that I really feel don't do anything against shops. I mean, I had options of playing things like Flusterstorm and things like that. So I, I tried to just minimize that, and then in the board... And main, main deck, I do have Echoing Truth, Steel Sabotage... Obviously, Swords to Postures is good against Lotus and Golem, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, 
And then in the board, I have energy flux, a disenchant, and a null, uh, and an extra sword. It's like all of those come in. And it, it seemed to work okay. Granted, I didn't play against anything exceptionally prison-y. Yeah, that's what I was testing against, and I, I found that I couldn't deal with... I was getting killed by Crucible, and I was getting killed by Stack. Right. I did play against five-color stacks that uh, I left. I kept Rest in Peace in against because he had Goblin Welders and Crucibles. I don't know whether that mattered or not. I ended up being in Sick Mules. So... I, I don't know. Honestly, the, the deck is, is new, and it really isn't all that tested, so um, it seems interesting. That five-color stacks list isn't on the mana drain. What was he putting in there with the colors? The player was Greg Price, and he's also sort of new to our vintage group in Columbus. He's uh, he's played at a couple of mean deck opens before, but he's got colors that I saw were pretty much what would normally be in five-color stacks, so he had Welders, Demonic Tutor, Tinker, Crop Rotation, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm pretty sure he was playing Balance since he alluded to it, though I didn't see it. And then his, uh, I think he had four Spears, two Thorns, Lodestone Golems, that sort of thing. And he was also getting, he had Light Steel, Sundering Titan, Triskelion. Oh my. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know how much of that was main deck and how much of that came in after port, but it looked like a Pretty usual five color stacks list <laughs> to me. I mean, five color stacks being played back in what 2005, 2006. And then he also had, uh, he had Time Vault Key. Not to change the subject, but I see here in the breakdown <laughs> Rogue Hermit combo beats Eric because Eric forgot to bring a complete sideboard. <laughs> Care to comment? Oh, this I'm is real a good at subject. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we sat down for this tournament, and I announced to the table, not really explicitly, but just in general, overheard by everyone, I don't have my ravenous traps, so I hope no one's playing <laughs> Dredge. <laughs> and I, uh, it's full proxy, so I guess I could have whipped out some paper or something, but I, I, I thought a gentleman would say, like, there might be Dredge here. Something along those lines. <laughs> I assumed oh. it was like a good faith agreement. Oh. That, well, oh, it, nobody's on Dredge, so I don't need those cards anyway. This I, is I mean, really, there's no Dredge at the tournament. Yeah, there was no Dredge. I see no Dredge here. <laughs> Look at that list. Come on. <laughs> so, <laughs> I get paired against that guy, and I don't know what he's playing. I, I think I've always seen Ben once. I didn't even know that, that was Nat's deck. Was it yours? Yeah, it was. I liked yeah. it. I had no idea. So, <laughs> game one, he drops like a Chrome Mox and goes to Dark Rit, and I was just like, I don't know what kind of craziness will come out of this, so I misstepped it. And then turn two, he just Dark Rits again, and I have, I think, a Force in my hand, so I was like, alright, I'll let this happen. And then he drops that Spy, or whatever it's called. Yeah, Hunter City Informer. And I, I read it a little bit, because, you know, what the f*** is that card? And I was like, oh, so you're going to crack this. And I thought, at first I was thinking it was like, I've seen it in some other format where they, they use it to mill you. And oh. I thought about it for a second, I was like, there's no way he's going to do that. Yeah. And then I was like, for some reason, like, Belcher went through my head, and I was like, oh, you don't have any lands. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, like, it just, like, came to me like a light bulb. I was like, oh, that can't resolve. <laughs> So I threw a force at him. He's like, pack of negation. I was like, well, oh. me, right? So he, he just activates it and just dumps his, flips his library over and it's like, all right, I'll get all these Nathanavis back. I'll drug return. 
I'll get Angel, I'll get a lab man and a zombie, and I'll draw a card. And it's like, that's fantastic. And then I'm sitting there like, I don't have ravenous traps. <laughs> so I'm just like hating life the whole time I'm boarding. Like, oh my god. <laughs> it's like going against Red, but you didn't bring your sideboard, basically. Yeah. So, yeah, this is... Wine, tells me. Right. This is uh, Ben Kuhar. He was playing Rogue Hermit Combo, which is the deck that Stephen Menendian profiled on Eternal Central, what, last week? I pretty much just took Steve's list and built a different sideboard for it. <laughs> ben ended up going 2-0 and and then splitting with me in the finals. I did beat him because of my draws were insane against him. But, yeah, it, it seems like a, a really fast, really fragile deck. Uh, yeah. I guess we'll probably see it periodically in Vintage, although I don't know if it'll be a, a huge contender. It's got the packs, though. The packs are the best part of that deck. Easily. Yeah, that's why. Yeah, it's it's I, that's what I feel is the big bonus. I mean, you can't play packs and Belcher very easily because right. half of your wins don't win immediately, but that deck always wins immediately. Right. Yeah. Yeah, we we had some had some interesting stuff there. Rick Gideon is another relatively new vintage player, although he's played he used to play a long time ago, and he's recently getting back into the format. He used to play a five color control deck with Delvers and a bunch of technology that might be considered old, but still probably checks out. Yeah, I know he was saying that he, like, was a lover of Keeper, and that's all... Yeah. <laughs> he really wants to wants to get back to that, so that's a, a fun project for him. Yeah, he mentioned that he used to test with Oscar Tan back in the day, so that's kind of cool. What is Keeper? This is something way before my time, I'm assuming. Well, I should direct you back to our previous podcast with Abe Corson, <laughs> wherein we talk all about Keeper. But really, Keeper is five-color control. It's a silver bullet deck with a lot of tutors, and you basically play one-ofs of really good answers to yeah. certain game states. What is the name? You know, I don't know. I don't know either. <laughs> Steve, Steve Menendian is going to be mad that we haven't read his... Uh, that's that's true. That's true. Does he have an anthology in the history of vintage? He's working on it. Funny that you ask. Steve has been writing an anthology <laughs> in the history of vintage. <laughs> so yeah, we, we had, to, had a good turnout, and I, I think we're going to try this again pretty regularly. So I'll look forward to those. So actually, I mean, this sort of segues into why we have Eric on the show, because, you know, we're trying to grow the vintage format in Ohio. This has been a project for Team Serious for the past year, I guess. And we've sort of started taking it more seriously. We're not seriously. Um, well, I know, Nat. I mean, you've decided that it's not just about Ohio. You're trying to grow the scene wherever. That's like how you hooked up with Revised Angel on Twitter and, and our... Right working on her, trying to get her interested in stuff like that. This isn't just about Ohio. This is about the vintage format as a whole. Yeah, whatever, actually, we, whatever we can do. <laughs> I think the thing is that like, I moved away from Ohio in 2008, and I moved to the D.C. area, which there wasn't really a lot of vintage stuff going on. There were tournaments in Baltimore periodically, and then there was some stuff up the coast. Actually, the weekend that I moved, or the weekend that I found my apartment in the D.C. area, was the last Star City Power Nine, I think, which was in Richmond. So in D.C., like, I tried to build the network down there. That was how I met Ryan Seeley, Abe Corson got involved, Doug Azano, a few other people, and eventually Paul Mastriano moved out there. I mean, we, we, we built a scene up. We had 
four or five or six people playing weekly, just testing, really. And then after I left D.C., we had some more people in the Columbus area that we tried to get a scene going there. Obviously, that had the benefit of having Stephen Endian and Kevin Cron already there. Matt Howard was there, who, all of whom I tested against periodically. But like we've, I think in the past year, I've really tried to get regular, regular events that aren't based on going to someone's house because that way you're not reliant on one person being around. Like if you have a store to go to, there's always a place to go. Yeah. It also allows you to expose it to people instead of keeping it exclusive. Right. Right. And I, I think that's been important. So we, like I said, we've, we've grown it up and I keep tagging people like Eric and, uh, Nick Sherwood and people like that, where it's like, I know they're around. I know they play magic. Why don't you play vintage? Yeah. And then there's people like, like Rick who used to play back in the way old days. And it's like, Hey, you can come back to this. Yeah. He was still surprised, here for actually. I didn't talk to him beforehand, but he really? showed up a couple weeks ago and I was like, yeah, I used to play back in the day. So I, I think he found out about it through fog of dusk. We had it on their website and, uh, Oh no, he, he saw it in the Mana Drain. He saw the post in the tournament thread on the Mana Drain and was like, all right, these guys are playing Vintage on Mondays. I'll go down and check it out. So, yeah. And I think the, word out. the thing is, like, a lot of it is just <laughs> beating the bushes and combing the streets and a whole bunch of other mixed metaphors and, <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and trying to, trying to talk to people and say, you know, Vintage is really cool. Why don't you give it a shot? Mm-hmm. So, Eric, what do you like about Vintage? Um, well, pretty much it's just like the player base. We've discussed in the past. I started playing Type 2 like 2003, 2004. And I guess at that point, I was in the same age group as you expect for Type 2 people. <laughs> I was like 18, 19, a draft, and you know, played Type 2. As I played more and more magic and gotten more and more tired of that, that crowd, the vintage crowd just seems much more enjoyable to play against. I mean, card wise, I'm not a fan of vintage. <laughs> I mean, not, not to say not a fan. Um, I have serious issues with vintage's structure, but... What do you mean? You mean like the the power dynamic or what? I, yeah, I hate power. I hate variance. Um, okay. Power in vintage is the most extreme example of variance in magic you can have. Yeah. If I was playing like powered EDH or something ridiculous. <laughs> um... Like I think powered EDH would have higher variance given that it's a single for singleton format. Well, vintage is somewhat singleton as well. <laughs> I guess there yeah, is that. Yeah, coming into vintage, I guess, at the outset, because I, I guess coming into it, like a couple of years ago when I played it, like the first, it wasn't even Team Series, I didn't back then, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was playing, like, your Black Blue Wizards deck. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and Jeff was my loss. <laughs> yeah. I remember because it was my first vintage tournament. And I'm playing the suit deck, and Jeff's on dredge. <laughs> but I was yeah. terrified, because I could no. never beat Withered Wretch in testing. The thing you said to me <laughs> was, we, we shuffle up and deal seven. <laughs> and Jeff's like, oh, so you're playing Nat's deck. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, oh, I know that list pretty well. I've tested against it. Turn one, Cabal Therapy. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, this, this <laughs> guy... <laughs> That was my hello, welcome to vintage. I, I, uh, <laughs> I had forgotten about that, but I, you got, I'm, you got the withered I'm wretch. I'm sure that I did withered wretch. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's sort of funny because 
Jeff and I pretty much tested exclusively against each other. Yeah. So we had this extremely inbred metagame of two decks where I played Blue Black Fish with Withered Wretch and Planar Void, and Jeff played Dredge. Yeah, um, so I got the... I think I got really shafted on that deal. But yeah, so going into Vintage, if you were to, like, some traits of how I, I felt about Magic was I hated combo decks. I hated variants. Uh, I still kind of do it. And so Vintage, to me, those are the biggest things that I hate. That's like the worst. Why are you playing Vintage? Because <laughs> I can't stand type 2 players. Man. Why do we have this guy on the show? <laughs> it's fun when power doesn't throw games insanely. Like, I don't mind, you know, like, a turn, a drawing a turn three Black Lotus, you know, or starting with a Mox. That's fine, but I mean, even I, like, there's games in a TSO, like when I was playing Lab Man Oath, and I opened with, like, Land, Mox, Black Lotus, Force Backup, and an Oath, and it's like, how is this magic? <laughs> like, right. You are just pure ruined, and it has nothing to do with how you played. <laughs> and that, that's, uh, that drives me crazy. When you get aside from the potential of the turn one games and things like that, it's, it's, it's really fun. There's still levels of interaction that I think Type 2 has lost. Right. In the rules changes and the power people dudes. You've talked in the past about how you're not a fan of how newer formats are more creature based. Yeah, I mean, Type 2 right now, it's just, everything just curves right into you. And right. it's, it's like, I mean, you know, magic philosophy wise, I don't, I don't want to play that. I don't, I don't want to play against it. It's like, here's your autopilot, and how's it feel? <laughs> right. At least here, I mean, the first time I ever cast Gifts and Vintage, I pretty much lost myself the game. What the f*** do I get? Dear God, it's probably something I could do that's really productive right now. Oh, f- I missed it. And there <laughs> I mean, I'd rather, you know, it, it's much more... I don't know if it's satisfying or not. To, to lose on my on my own merits than to, you know, lose in type 2 where it's like, oh, I missed a land drop. Or, yeah, yeah. You know, that, that sort of, yeah, yeah. Or it's just, you know, he gets a 1 drop, a 2 drop, a 3 drop, and a 4 drop. And yeah. I'm trying to, you know, get to the point where I can wrath. And the creatures are so good to kill you before that, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, I always feel like there's a lot more... <laughs> There's a lot of interesting stuff going on in Vintage. I mean, obviously there's issues with that as well, but the uh, the Rogue-Hermit combo appears in Legacy, but, I mean, it's pretty unique. The, the straight-up bizarre-fueled dredge deck is pretty different. Workshops obviously don't appear elsewhere in any real capacity. There's a lot of spell interaction on the stack. You have counter battles that involve more than two counters, one from each side. Um, I do like one thing about the power creep in part two is, or just with new sets, is that it is kind of cool to see powerful creatures cascade down into vintage mm-hmm. and get played. Because it, it, you know, vintage is definitely a spell dominated format. Right. With, you know, this huge every card available. So it, it's cool to see some dudes make it into vintage and get played in cool ways. Right. But it's just, you know, type two to me is, for every dude that makes it to Vintage, there's four that are along that power line that are getting played as well. Right. So. Well, it helps make things like creature removal and combat relevant in Vintage. Like, Vintage actually has a whole bunch of, a whole range of different interactions that other formats sometimes miss. It's, other than that, I think it's just the players, like I said. There's definitely an age separation between the formats. Yeah. It's almost like they just, you know, with the age of the format is the age of the player. Right. Um, oh, sure. 
Except the only thing I think that's weird about that is it used to be that way. You could say it was that way. Like, Type 2 was the youngest players. Extended at the time was, you know, Type 2 players from a couple of years ago. Legacy was almost like vintage in its player base, I felt. Mm-hmm. But then when SCG picked up Legacy, um, it's the same sort of influx of Type 2 modern players to me now. Yeah, Legacy is a pretty broad age range. I mean, I've yeah. played against a lot of different age ranges, or a lot of different age people at Legacy tournaments. Yeah, I would agree. Definitely increase that. Yeah. You should work on getting SCG to host Vintage again. Well, that goes into our next topic. They've been against proxies a little bit. I know that they've, they've steered away from that. They're leery of sanctioning, not in the tournament organizer sense, but in the allowing sense of proxy tournaments. So I think if they were going to do Vintage tournaments, it would be zero proxy, and I'm not sure that they're confident enough that they would get players for it. Did they do proxies in the past? Yeah, the Power 9, Star City Power 9 series was 10 proxy, I think. Was it? I did not know that. Yeah. See, that seems pretty reasonable. Yeah, I, yeah I know it I, does. I know I played Belcher at Star City Power 9 a couple times, so I, I would have had to either borrow or proxy, and I'm pretty sure I proxy card. Hmm. So were those pretty popular? I wasn't playing vintage back then, so I guess I'm not sure. <laughs> they were, uh, they were the biggest vintage tournaments in the States for the most part. I mean, they, I think at their peak they were getting, um, like 150 players. Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of like Gen Con does now. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty much like a Gen Con size format, and they had, you know, they started sort of dwindling, and they, they weren't self-sustaining at, at that point, so. Yeah. Personally, I I have to have proxies to play. I can't. I I would never. I don't think get to the point where I can play and I'm proxy yeah. back myself. I'm probably fairly biased here because I just had all my stuff stolen last month. But so the the urge to invest is pretty dwindled for yeah. me right now. But, yeah, I can understand that. If it weren't for proxies, there's no way I'd be playing right now. Right. <laughs> if I had built up a deck and had it taken, I would probably not be playing again. Yeah, and I, I think that's my feeling on it too. Is that if there's a lot of people who play who wouldn't be able to play without some number of proxies. I mean, I mean, we've been doing full proxies at most Ohio tournaments for a few years now, and I, you know, it's worked. But I don't think that. I mean, most people don't need all 75 proxies. Most people need. We did a survey, uh, at least among our group, recently, and I think it was less than 15 was what most people were looking for to play a deck that they felt was competitive and what they wanted to play. Most of the people I talk to um, in my groups, because I frequent a lot of, you know, Ted 2 and modern players, mm-hmm. they typically always favor more proxies than better. But then when I talk to a lot of established vintage players, they seem to have a problem with the proxies. Right. Well, I mean, there's a certain level of... I mean, we've talked about it before, about a, of investment in the format where you feel like you're a more dedicated vintage player because you own Power 9. But I, you know, I, I understand that. I appreciate it. Like, I mean, I personally am trying to acquire a set of Power 9 because of that. But at the same time, I realize that, you know, a lot of people aren't going to want to make that investment because it's a, it's a significant investment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially if you're talking about people in, within age groups, people right. in college are not. Right. Or even just out of college. I mean, like if you're. Yeah. Starting employee and making thirty thousand dollars and paying thousand dollars in rent a month—that's that's pretty significant to to pay another three thousand dollars to get power. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I dislike proxies in in theory, but I think they're still necessary for the format. I'm basically all about playing 
more vintage as opposed to less, and I feel that Proxies allows more vintage to occur. Right. Yeah, I think it gets new players in. I, I mean, there are players who, without Proxies, couldn't even consider playing. I, I think getting them to play is first a matter of getting them to experience the format and see if they like it, and then, you know, allowing them the opportunity to build the deck that they want to build using Proxies if they need to. I'm a fan of Proxies in every format, as a matter of fact. Well, I know, uh, Fog, I think Fog of Dusk has done, um, Legacy tournaments with proxies. Yeah, so for the same play. reason. I mean, the mana base of dual lands and force of wills and things like that. Like that's those are expensive cards. Like people don't necessarily want to just drop that much money on cards. Yeah, totally. I remember back when I started when I was playing Dredge, I had very little disposable income. I was just fresh out of college at that point, and I right. like I wish I had had the disposable income that I have now five years yeah. five years later because everything was like half the price. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, yeah, I had the foresight. Yeah, I wish I had invested then, but I, 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 there's no way that I could have. Yeah. Yeah, it's really like whatever, like a mana base in modern costs as much as a type 2 deck. A mana base in legacy costs as much as a full modern deck. Hmm. And a mana base in vintage costs as much as a full legacy deck. <laughs> There's a card in Vintage that costs as much as a full legacy deck. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, and that's interesting. I hate that mana bases are the most expensive thing in Magic to me. They seem to be in every point. Like, I'm trying to get back into Modern right now, because I lost my decks, so whatever. And every deck I look at, it's like maybe a couple hundred bucks, and then I get to the fetch lands. Yeah. It doubles the price of the deck. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, I just, I hate paying that much money for lands. Yeah, they don't even tap for mana. (laughs) (laughs) They do damage to you. These are terrible. (laughs) I remember thinking that when I first started Magic and saw a fetch land. (laughs) And I I think I I literally said, like, why not just play an island instead of that card? Right. Most of us were there once. I mean, it's amazing the kind of cards that we dismissed back then. Yeah, <laughs> because of because of drawbacks that now we think oh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So are there are there other things that you think a vintage scene, a vintage tournament organizer could do to attract new players? I think that the turn one kill stigma is is real bad in vintage. Is it? Um, so, but it's just the stigma, right? I mean, that <laughs> people just have this impression. But it's, I mean, most vintage games do not end on turn one. I'd be more apt to say that if I didn't just lose turn one. I understand. (laughs) But you see what I'm saying. Um, Yeah, it's definitely how much non-vintage players think it happens is definitely inflated. Right. Like, it's, aside from that deck, like, I haven't had anybody kill me on turn one. Right. And I mean, even, even a lot of the effective turn one kills, I mean, you know, turn one Chalice Lodestone is pretty good. Turn one Turn of Spears is obviously pretty good. Turn one Black Lotus, Jace, Ancestral Insanity is, is real <laughs> But I mean, you know, I mean, even those are, are fairly rare. I mean, you're talking about a lot of things coming together to make this happen. Yeah, it's just... In a, it's, in a format with uh, Force of Wills and Mind Break Traps and things like that. Yeah, it's just, it's the plane crash phenomenon. Right. The, you know, the, anybody that doesn't play Vintage, what have they heard of it? Well, they've probably heard about the most ridiculous Right, right. Which is like, you know, oh, they can turn one tinker into a Blightsteel Colossus and they have Force backup. Like, yeah. We hear about that stuff. And I think it's pretty difficult to break that stigma because you really need somebody who's going to sit down and, and already play, play it for more than a couple games. They need to play right. it for a little while so they can... It's like, I, even when I first started playing Vintage, I had that, that thought. Sure. 
that's definitely what I thought of Vintage when I first started playing. Yeah. And it wasn't until a couple of tournaments of playing it, and I, it wasn't even an explosive realization. It was just sort of like, oh, I don't think that anymore. Yeah. Brought up. And it's one of those things, too, where new players... I mean, it happens on both sides of the table, too, so it's not like it's not like you're constantly being turned one by your opponent. I mean, you yeah. also get to have that happen for you every once in a while. I mean, I don't know how other people are, but I definitely remember the times yeah. that I've been killed on turn one right. more than the times that I've done it on turn one. Yeah. <laughs> you should, I do it you on should play Belcher for as long as I have. <laughs> I did play, I played your Legacy build at that SCG. Oh, that's Israel. right. That was very fun because I don't like Legacy that much. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly how we feel about it. I know. <laughs> it's like, you sideboard with the 15 islands? That's because I don't respect you. <laughs> exactly. That's how I've gone about modern as well. I chose eggs because I don't want to give a shit about what you're doing. Right. <laughs> and I want you to sit there and watch me play my <laughs> <laughs> because I don't like you. <laughs> That's what, whoever invented eggs had to realize that when they started playing it. Like, man, this is really not going to go well. I, I'm not going to get a. I'm not going to get a handshake at the end of this game. <laughs> I'm going to take a 15 minute turn. After which, my opponent's going to be dead. <laughs> yeah, and if I go to time, they can't even look at me. You know, with that angry fish shape, like they, they're going to get some. No, I'm going to take this one turn for another 10 minutes. <laughs> we're just going to hang out and you're going to tell me that you're going to stop cutting my deck and tell me okay and get angry about it like, it happens every game but I, I played the Belcher in Legacy for the same basic reason it's just you don't get that sweet satisfaction of your opponent's soul cracking there's a certain sweetness when it's all over so fast like that one person it, it who is, I played like, at the SCG in Columbus <laughs> where like his girlfriend was sitting there and I killed him in, in like almost instantly and she was like what even happened and she was, and he was like <laughs> shut up <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a different enjoyment so you you like that that quick like that hope drop when they when they get it i like that that sigh when you get that sigh out of them <laughs> when you're in the middle of an eggs combo and they don't know if you can win but they don't want to give up because that's just letting me win and this you get is... sigh and they, this put is... their, they put their elbow down their head on their hand and they just okay and they don't they don't cut your deck anymore because you've already shuffled it like nine times that's when it's like I feel a little bad <laughs> but you know you got it you know you didn't you start this segment with I hate combo? <laughs> well, he also started this segment with I pretty much play the format because of the people. <laughs> so it turns out Eric really does love combo and hates people. <laughs> to justify the combo in modern... Okay, I, I wanted to play modern a lot when it was called overextended, right? You remember that? Uh, that was a really cool format. It had counterspell. Don't know why that's just OP, I guess. <laughs> but, um, so they made extended and, or modern rather, and we spent, well, I was testing a lot back then because I was, I was going to Sandusky pretty frequently with, uh, people I test a lot with, and we were testing <laughs> Like, I mean, we were testing four plus hours a day. Wow. And as soon as they cropped it from overextended to modern, like every control, because I'm a, I'm a control player, quote unquote, and by control I mean like icy manipulator, I win on turn 45 control. Um, that's, that's the style I like to play. I like the game to go long, I like to try and answer every threat, like, that's fun magic to me, is just constant, like, back and forth interaction for as long as I can before you give up. And Modern did not give me that option. There's just, 
especially at the beginning when like Emrakul Cloudpuss was the real, you can't play a control deck when Emrakul's getting cast. It's impossible. Right. So I was like, you know what? F- this format. I'm gonna play the most boring thing I can to punish every other player that's playing modern. <laughs> and wow. Was, is, if, I, if I can't play the deck I want to play, you don't get to play either. I like this idea of playing Magic totally out of spite. I'm, I'm feeling this dark, seething hatred that's just <laughs> taking hold. They would just let me play a slowly white control deck. <laughs> you know? At least in Type 2, they give me the glimmer of it, even though I just go get the <laughs> out of me. <laughs> and so I do it, and I play, and I just, you know, I go like 60 three, you know, six, two, and ones, and I do well, but I never, I never win win. You know, they keep me on the cost of thinking I can play control, and that's great, but modern just no, so, so I had to resort to the, the dirtiest that I could, but Belcher was real fun in Legacy for that, too, just, I don't care about your format. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, <laughs> I didn't have to test, how long did you? I don't <laughs> Like, I think the first tournament I played Exit as an example of a combo, I goldfished it four times, took it to a GP, and went six and three. Hmm. Well, that sounds good. So, so it sounds like we're, <laughs> I mean, going back to our original... What, what have we established here? I'm not quite sure anymore. anymore. Oh. <laughs> what I do, I, 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 was that the point? I like vintage because of the players. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and everyone who doesn't play vintage, you just want to punish. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's kind of like linked to like I don't like aggro, and I I think less of a player when I see them play a mountain, basically. <laughs> wow! If your turn one is forest, dude, I probably don't like you. <laughs> see, Landist. Jerry Yang loves those people. He high fives them. <laughs> <laughs> That's because he knows they're not going to counter any of his spells. Yeah, and then he kills them. Wow! But at least in vintage, everybody you know is playing, except for shops players and good players. But they're all playing like spells, and there's going to be some counters going on, and people have to make decisions, and it'll be hopefully a fun game if it doesn't end up in. Agreed. So, what is the topic for serious food and drink? Eating while gaming. I don't know what yeah. that means. Nat's going to have to introduce it. Well, well, I, the only reason I thought about this was because Eric suddenly has this um, fascination, nay, obsession with uh, oatmeal cream pies. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, that's pretty much it. I mean, the, the eating well, like the bringing food to a tournament to eat idea has come up before. I know that, uh, you know, we talked about whether you pack yourself a lunch or, you know, do you bring anything to snack on to keep your energy up between rounds, that sort of thing. And really what it comes down to is Eric's just really upset when he doesn't have oatmeal cream bars. I feel like it's such an easy thing to keep in stock. I would think and so too, but, you know. It plays well with my mild sugar addiction. So right. So I, does this come about because Fog of Dust, like, had them and then did yeah. not have them? And now they, they have them again. Yeah, they carry them. But sometimes they're out. And they've been out several times, and I don't understand, like, you're running out, go buy more. They're, <laughs> they're just little debbies, man. These aren't a have, not scarcity issue. Have you ever considered cutting out the middleman and just going to the store and buying a lot of... I can't... You can't just do that, Joe. Like, I'm going to destroy a box of oatmeal cream pies if I do that. <laughs> you can't just... 
Look, I've already got a bad situation with sugar in my life. I can't just hand myself the box. Yes, it'd be economically more feasible. Yes, I would probably get a lot of fun out of that. But let's look at the health repercussions. Man, now I wonder if they sell oatmeal cream pies at Costco. They probably do. The best <laughs> sure. is when you, uh, you you lightly refrigerate them. Ooh. Oh, really? Yeah, okay, so like the worst case scenario, which happened at the Monday tournament, was when you place one in your pocket and you don't remember. Oh, no. <laughs> front pocket I, or back pocket? Uh, not front, but I had the foresight to put it in my coat, not on me. Uh-huh. But I still think that the, the insulation, it was definitely breaking down by the time I decided to eat it. Yeah, those and, things kind of melt, right? Yeah, and that's the opposite of a lightly chilled over right, yeah, high. Yeah, yeah. And I, I ate it anyway because I have no willpower. And it was just a terrible mistake. On the way home, I was telling Nick, I was like, man, I shouldn't eat that cream pie. I, I just feel like now. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to play games. Like, I just, like, it has oh, altered my mood. <laughs> yeah, like, it, it was just terrible. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna not buy two next time. Well, do they, do they have? Too. You just have to eat them right away, right? Yeah. Or, or I could put them in the fridge because they have. Yeah, they have a fridge there. That was what I was going to ask. That's what I should be doing. So you feel like the sugar fix helps you get through a long night of gaming? No, I think I just love eating sugar. Okay. And I can't control it too. Because I know Sam and I have talked about how there should be more cookies brought to tournaments, and I think that's yes. going to be a thing from now on. Is that? that oh, those okay. cookies were so good. Yeah, thank you. I made those. Those were delicious. Like those may have been the best Christmas cookies I've ever had. Wow! I will. Uh, I'll pass that along. Wow. That's a, that's an old Moe's family recipe. So. Yeah, like my mom makes pretty good ones, but those ones you brought were kind of like they whatever. I, yeah, that, that, that counts extra because they had been in the freezer for two months. So. <laughs> Maybe that's part of it. Maybe that's. It could be, I guess. I, I doubt it. Yeah. <laughs> now you see, my wife loves making things for events. But she always wants me to, like, provide her with a recipe that I want made, and I never have anything on hand. There was that one time that she made um, monkey, bread, monkey bread, and that was delicious, but that is not a... That's monkey not bread a, is not a food to eat while gaming. That's not a vintage-friendly food. No, no. That's, uh... <laughs> things that you eat with your fingers that are messy, it's, it's a really bad idea. It's like, here, my, my fingers are coated in caramel. Let me... Can I touch your mocks? <laughs> <laughs> is this real? <laughs> I'm just going to pull this out of the sleeve and check if you don't mind. <laughs> no, I, I remember that. It was excellent monkey bread, and I remember eating a lot of it because everyone else was like, oh, I'm not going to eat this and play vintage. <laughs> I, I personally don't care. So, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's a bathroom there. You can wash your hands afterwards. Oh, just yeah. eat it between rounds. Yeah. Well, this will be good. Maybe, uh, maybe Sarah and I can alternate between providing cookies return with Yeah, it sounds good. She just needs something to make. I can provide her with those if you like. Yeah, I, I feel like I always... It depends on the length of the tournament, but when I start getting like legitimately hungry, I, I've dropped out of... I've given a win away to go get somewhere before in the middle of the tournament. Mm. And I, I can't... I It annoys for me to sit there and be like, I'm really hungry. Yeah. I usually feel like there's one round where I'm... Like, if I go through a long tournament with no food, like there's usually one round where I'm starving. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I just stop being hungry because it's like my stomach is shut down. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I would agree with that. We're just giving up. I've had friends bring um, you know, boxes of granola bars, bottled mm-hmm. water, some Jerry toting around a giant 
people bananas at different times. <laughs> and those all seem like really good options that I, I wish I cared to do. I just, I hate having more to carry around. Right. But you know what? It sounds like a great option. Oatmeal cream pies. Mm, they're so <laughs> small. You can put them in your pocket. And you, should just make a, you should just make a custom holster for them so you can, like, <laughs> press a button and one drops out into your hand. <laughs> Compartment inside my deck box. Yeah. And maybe maybe the wrapper's already open for you a little bit so you don't have to, like, fiddle with it. Yes, Judge, this is part of my sideboard. <laughs> <laughs> I usually like to... I mean, if I know I'm going to be gaming for a while, I'll usually try and bring, like, a sandwich or, you know, like an apple or a banana or something. Just to tide me over. I usually go the granola bar route. Granola bar is good too. Sometimes I'll add that in. Sarah always has them, so it's like morning of the tournament. I'm like, what am I going to throw into my bag? Oh yeah, large box of granola bars. Yep. Do you have a Do you have a preferred kind of granola bar? The Nature Valley sweet and salty nut ones. Yeah, those are good. Those are really good. Yeah, we had uh, we had the Planters big nut bars for a while. <laughs> oh my, <laughs> which um. <laughs> I mean, despite the name, or maybe because of the name, they're just awesome. <laughs> Big nut. Yeah, I love cramming those in my mouth. <laughs> yeah, what a great marketing ploy. <laughs> well, I mean, seriously, I mean, you think you look at these granola bars and things like sweet and salty nut. Big nut. <laughs> yeah, and it's like it's it's like who they, their marketing. Well, they're like, like that's okay. They say we we can't get around this. We might as well just embrace it. <laughs> yeah, just go straight for it. You have to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> go straight are, for the nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys remember during the Super Bowl uh, a few years ago when Diet Pepsi decided that their marketing slogan should be brown and bubbly? <laughs> <laughs> no, but that sounds incredible. It's like, wow, you guys really let that get to a whole marketing meeting all by itself. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, meal cream pies and granola bars and apparently Diet Pepsi are the way to go. <laughs> happened again, you've wasted another perfectly good hour of your life listening to Serious Vintage. I'm Jeff Mose. I'm Nat Mose. And I'm Eric Butler. And we hope you'll join us next time for more Serious Vintage. Bye. Bye. And bye. <laughs> Eric is not down with this bullshit. Take a little trip. Take a little trip. Take a little trip and see. Take a little trip. Oh my, guess what won on Monday? Restoration Angel Snap Control! (laughs) (laughs) Thus we come to the death of vintage.